You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. But we will now jump into our gospel text for today. Today is Ascension Sunday. It's the day that we read and talk about Jesus kind of ascending into thin air and somehow disappearing, yet in a physical body, and what it means for the church. So we're going to read the end of Mark's gospel, Mark 16, verses 9 through 20. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. How many are glad good news enters our mourning and our weeping? Amen? You guys are going to make me work today. All right. Amen. Thank you, Sophia. You're an ideal ideal congregant, my daughter. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back. Everybody say back. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. This is a text to remind us to get off of doubting Thomas. Everybody got rebuked by Jesus, not just Thomas. And he said to them, now he said to people who don't believe anything, everybody has told them that Jesus is alive and none of them believed him. And he says to those people, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them. Everybody say with them. And confirmed the message By accompanying signs. This is the word of the Lord. I went to the Knicks game last night, yesterday afternoon. Knicks made the playoffs, everybody. This is good. This is a good thing. Yes, it's been a while. It's been a while. And my cousin got me the tickets, and so I wanted to do something nice for him for getting me the tickets. So we went, you know, once we found our seats and everything, we went to the gift shop, and he wanted a Julius Randall New York City special edition jersey. And I was like, you know what? You got these tickets. Let me get it for you. So my cousin, who is substantially smaller than I am, we go to the counter, and my cousin says, do you have the black Julius Randall jersey? And the woman looks at me and says, I'm so sorry. We only have a medium. I'm like, first of all, don't feel bad for me. I could probably fit into a medium, I said. And then she looked at me like, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Like, I said, it's for, it's for my cousin. He's cracking up laughing. Like, it's for my cousin. I'm getting it for him. She's like, oh, okay, good. And I'm like, what is, like, no one asked you for all of these opinions, please. Why am I feeling, and so it's funny because basically I wanted to say, listen, look again. It's not for me. 
Stop feeling bad for me. I did kind of want one, and now I know you don't have one in my size, but that's besides the point. We'll just get the one for him. And of course, my cousin, he works out all the time. He puts on a medium, looks great in it, and I'm like, whatever, I want to go home. I don't really want to do this anymore. But there's that moment. Have you ever wanted somebody to look again? Have you ever met somebody who sees something happen and they immediately assess it fully when they've only seen or heard one point of view or one perspective of it? Have you ever wanted to say to one of your children, just trust me, look again, it's not what you think it is? Have you ever wanted to say to a spouse, you can say amen if you want to, look again, you don't see your attitude the way it really is right now. Look again. Famous in my home growing up was, we should start recording these conversations. Frank, yeah, we really should, Ginger. So that we could look again. Everybody say respect. Respect or re-spect. Spect meaning to look or to see. When you respect someone, you see them, and then before you make assessments, you see them again. Sight one is us seeing each other in terms of how you impact me. Respect or looking again now gives me the chance to say, okay, you know what, I don't want to, I, 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 you did something and immediately I see how it affected me. But if I'm going to respect people in my life, if I'm going to respect the world around me, I'm going to look again and the second look is not going to tell me how it's impacting me, but it's going to tell me how my life can positively impact them. But that only comes on the second look. Because none of us are saved enough to have something happen and have our immediate opinion be, I just can't wait to bless somebody right now. Even in a silly little moment, like, uh, do you have the Julius Randle jersey? Uh, yeah, not one in your size. I didn't ask you anything about my life. It's that immediate reaction. Is how My thought wasn't, she's working hard. She probably deals with annoying people all the time. Her job has been on hiatus since COVID. There could be a lot going on here. It's the second look that tells you, dude, settle down. You're at a game. She's working. Understand what's happening here. Be the kind of customer that could maybe make her day better, not worse. But it's that second look. It's looking again. And it's not just with each other. It's with our situations. I want to show you this. In in. Matthew's gospel, when they get to the tomb on Easter Sunday, this is our last Sunday, really, where we celebrate Easter. When they get to the tomb in Matthew's gospel, there's an earthquake, and the stone rolls away, and they see one angel sitting on top of the stone. But then when you go to Luke's gospel, there's no earthquake, and there's two angels in the tomb. And then when you go to John's gospel, there's no earthquake, there's no angels, no one's in the tomb except for the disciples, and Jesus is standing there, and nobody knew it was him. They thought it was the gardener. Mark, to basically not get into this debate, just summarizes what everybody else had said. He lists pretty much everything that happened. And the question is, 
what actually happened? And why would the Bible give us seemingly contradictory uh, accounts of what is probably the most Christian event in the entire gospel story, the resurrection of Jesus? This resurrection is what makes the cross the power that it is because it's not somebody rising from the dead that is powerful. It's who rose from the dead that's powerful because honestly, if Hitler rose from the dead, it wouldn't be great. It's who rose from the dead, not that somebody rose from the dead that makes it powerful. It's this man who opened blind eyes and mute lips and deaf ears and raised a little girl from the dead and brought good news to the captives and didn't just visit the prisoners but became one himself. When he gets risen from the dead, that is good news. And so why are they all different? Here's why they're different. Because God wants us to know that no one person can ever describe an event that took place. In order to know what is truly going on in life, your opinion alone will only ever be part. Look at the person next to you. And now on the other side. At home, look all around. We are the rest of what God wants to say to ourself. God has given you all words in your life. He has spoken to you. God gave Stephanie a dream. God has spoken to you. But God has, will never tell you everything for you that he wants to tell you without him telling it to you through somebody else's perspective on your life. Otherwise, one go every gospel writer would have either had the same thing or it would have just been Mark and there would have been no Matthew, Luke, or John. But Jesus wants us to know that we have to look again. You get to the tomb, who's going to roll away the stone for us? Look again, the stone's been rolled away and there's an angel on it. But look again, there's two angels on it. But look again, there's no angels, but Jesus is here. But look again, we see he folded his laundry when he rose from the dead, and now we believe. But look again, he's going to Galilee. But look again, he's going to meet you on the way to Galilee, because Jesus is never where he said he's going to be. He's always much closer than that. But what we do right now in our culture and what my pastoral spidey sense is constantly saying right now is we have become people who solidify a full opinion based on one look of something. We hear what our coworker says once. We receive our disappointment once. We see a look somebody gives us once. We have a bad day and immediately we make all the opinions in that one moment and we don't look again. And looking again may actually be seeing with our ears and hearing somebody else's point of view on something that happened to me. Notice Jesus, this is, un, this is unbelievable in our culture especially. Jesus didn't write any of the books of the Bible. God would rather be spoken for than tell us himself. How many of you love that? How many of you love when other people speak for you? Isn't that your favorite thing ever? When you really want to tell somebody something about yourself, and then you're like, you know, why don't, why don't, why don't I let everybody else speak for me? And no matter what they say, I'm just going to be like, cool. This is not good. But Jesus, listen, Jesus would rather be misunderstood than control his own narrative. 
Because Jesus knows that what's best for us is to join in the telling of his story. So we have to look again. I had somebody say to me, like in the course of, I'm going to give you a 10-second synopsis of the course of three months. The thesis statement was COVID was the worst year of my life. And then a little bit later they said, you know what, I found some things out about myself this year that I never would have known before. And then later on they were like, well, you know what's funny? I've actually been able to strengthen some people who are going through a lot of despair because of what God did to me in a year. I wouldn't have asked for this stuff, but he really like gave me some words in my despair, and I've been like handing them out like, like money to people, and they've, they've been receiving it. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, this year turned out to be pretty good. Here's what happened in a nutshell. COVID was the worst year of my life. Look again. God showed up in a way that I never expected him to. Look again. I was strengthened in a way I never thought I could be. Look again. I strengthened other people in a way I never thought I could. Look again. This might have been one of the best years of my life. Everybody say, look again. On the Emmaus Road. I want everybody to hear this. On the Emmaus Road, two disciples walking by themselves, despairing because everything they hoped for turned out to be the opposite of everything. They're alone, but look again, there's a stranger on the road with us. But look again, that stranger has some very interesting things to say about the scriptures. So interesting, in fact, that my heart has heated up in my chest while he's talking. Look again, he's now come and sat down at table with us. Look again, he's gone. Look again, we're on our way back to where we were hiding from. Here's a theory that is being introduced how many of you have ever felt, by show of hands, be honest, that you, you, don't, you can't feel God near you sometimes? You feel like he's maybe slipped away a little bit. A, a theme erupts on Easter where, listen, God disappears because he's actually gotten so close you can't see him. I can see Jacqueline. If we literally became one, I wouldn't be able to see her anymore. I would feel like I was alone. Imagine, imagine you're in the room with another person. And then somehow you and that person actually become one. Now you feel like you're alone in the room because you've actually gotten closer. Sometimes oneness feels like absence. The disciples are in the locked room like Stephanie spoke of this morning. They're in the locked room and they're afraid. But look again, Jesus is here. But look again, he just gave us the Holy Spirit. Look again, he's gone. But what is this energy we now have in ourselves? At any one moment in any of these stories, if they assessed in totality the last thing that happened, they would never realize that more was going on than meets the eye. But in every single one of the stories, there's a common theme. They went to the tomb. We're going to see a dead thing. Look again, he's alive. They went back and told. They went back and told. The people on the Emmaus Road went back and told. The disciples were all together in an upper room. And when Jesus showed up eight days later, they were together again thinking, maybe there's something to this gathering. Maybe when we gather, he shows up in a way that we don't expect. There's always this absence that turns out to be actually presence that turns out to make us have to be around each other. 
It thrusts us into community, not out of it. Everything that the Holy Spirit told Stephanie in that dream, I was falling out of my chair because it is everything we're talking about today said better than I'm even saying it now. Our life for years, for as long as I've ever known what church is, pastors have been fighting to keep people from having a privatized church experience. How many remember the Arsteds? <laughs> they didn't like the whole individual thing, and they were right. They raised me and formed me to know what's best is for me to be in a room with other people. And then COVID comes, and we have to do the unthinkable. We actually have to provide a way to allow people to have a privatized Christianity in their home. And the slinky snaps all the way back. Was it good that we were able to do that? Yes. But has it caused damage to our psyche, which already wants to have a privatized faith? Yes. And we have to be very, very careful about this. We have to be very careful about this. There's a fine line between telling people who are high risk that they need to be here and telling people who have gotten cozy coming once or twice a month because now they can catch it, you know, from the campsite on the phone. Because Pentecost, the Spirit, thrusts you into physicality with other people. We've debated for years what is the primary evidence of this and how do you know if you got the spirit there and it's been a world of hurt. It thrusts you into community and it teaches you to love others better and together we learn to love Jesus more. How many have said, I want more of God? The person next to you is that more. This room is that more. Being together on the day that we celebrate the empty tomb is more. One of the things I used to say that I can't wait to say again is on, e on Easter Sunday, they went to the tomb and the angel said, he is not here, he's risen. And I've often thought our homes should be like empty tombs. If our neighbors or friends go to see us on Sunday morning, there should be an angel in the house saying, Carrie's not here, she's risen and gone to Galilee to be with her congregation even if you have to jump start the car sometimes to get there. Praise the Lord. A lot of us had a morning. A lot of us had a morning this morning. You know, Satan doesn't win, but he's, he, he sometimes you got to call a timeout and like get, get the players off the court for a second and be like, all right, he just hit two threes. Let's just regather ourselves, figure this out again. It's everything to our spiritual health is about looking Again, our role, our job to the wider world is to tell them to look again. My life is terrible. Look again. This can never get better. Look again. I'm going to be hurting this for the rest of my life. You might be, but look again. That pain is going to change shape. There's people in your life. God is going to do things. There's going to be incremental healing until there's a full curing when Jesus comes back. Look again. That's our word to the church around us. Look again. Don't be obsessed with your own opinion. Let somebody else help you look again and again and again. And the more we keep looking again, the more we will see the full picture of our life. But we have to look again, and it ends with the ascension. Jesus ascends. 
into heaven. And after he ascends, an angel comes and says, guys, what are you staring at? And like, let's be fair, my man just disappeared. This isn't like Chris Angel. This just actually happened. He just disappeared. You're criticizing me for staring and looking at the sky that Jesus just lifted up in and poof, disappeared? And what does he say? He says, why are you gazing into heaven? Go gather together like he told you because he's coming back in a way that you're not going to expect. And suddenly, there is the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And Jesus came back in a powerful way. What happened? He left in one way so that he could return much closer in all of our lives. Jesus left to get closer. He departed to be near. That's a paradox that only exists in the person of Jesus Christ. He leaves to get closer. He parts to get more near. He ascends as a way of showing that his ascending actually happens in us, in our heart. Where did he go? Here. He disappeared and got closer. Look again. He's now in you, pouring out of your very pores. The life, the fire, the, the invigoration, the get up again, the, the, the way that we talk each other through rough mornings, the way that we lock arms when we're going through things together, the way that we worship together in this room. I know this sounds very simplistic. I know you've all heard it before, but we have to fight for an ascension reality where Jesus has disappeared because he's now housed himself in our very lives. And we will never know the fullness of that if we're not here together, getting together, being together, hearing each other, and not waiting to hear what we have to say to each other when we agree, but realizing you need a Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and a Santa, and a Jacqueline, and a Bill Bernasconi, right? You need all of us to have a full view of the gospel. None of us walk around with the view even of our own life that we have on our own. You are how I look again. Your view on God, your view on social justice, your view on the hot button issues of the day, your view on healing, your view on tragedy. When I watch and listen and hear everything you have to say, I'm not here just to teach. You help me look again. You help me see things in my life in ways that God would never show me because God doesn't want me to have a monopoly on my own prophecy. You don't, he has never once told you enough for what you need in your life. God has never once told you enough for what you need in your life because he's told all of us a little something for you that you need as well. Because we would all get to live by ourselves. But like Stephanie said, that house that we live in by ourselves, it starts out as a nice, neat, clean place. But it then becomes a place of no light and despair. On, on Emmaus Road, they come back. Uh, at the empty tomb, they run and tell the disciples. When the Holy Spirit comes, it says they went out and they didn't stop preaching. Are we fluent like that? Are we doing that? Are we looking again? Or are we entirely self-assured in our own opinions of things, not realizing that what God has told us is a quarter of the tank and we're on a 500-mile road trip thinking that we have a full tank of gas. 
I have listened to people assess themselves, assess the church, assess the decisions they're making with literally little to no influence other than themselves, maybe the person that they live with, but never expressive where, but then there's other people, I, I hear about this all the time, just so you know, I don't say Game of Thrones, I don't want anybody to think I watch Game of Thrones, but a little birdie, they, 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 they talk, our deacons are really good at what they do, some of you, some of you are on prayer chains, some of you get together, some of you pray on Tuesday mornings, some of you are constantly encouraging each other and, and counseling each other and being lifted up by each other, and some of you have just imploded entirely in on yourself and are so self-assured and confident that you know what's going on, and you don't, because I don't. Because I need you, I need Bishop Q, I need Randall Worley, I need Pastor Mark, I need my amazing wife who speaks the oracles of God on a daily basis in our home. Because if without those voices, I will never look again. And then you become dangerous, you become defensive, you become, you know, guns drawn. Because once you only believe yourself and nobody else, you live to defend that thought and everything is a fight. Everything's an either or. Everything is an all or nothing, and that is not an emotionally healthy way to live. And Salem, we are barreling towards that right now. So confident in all of our opinions and literally saying, I'm not going to talk to other people about this stuff because then we're just going to get into an argument. Don't say that. Just talk better. <laughs> How about you do the talking without getting into the fight? Well, you know, no, stop, right there. Here's how I know you can. The Holy Spirit. If not that, then what? Then what are we even doing? This sounds like a soapbox, like, stump speech. I understand. But it really is, like, heavy on me how deep into personal opinion I have seen people since March of 2020. And how unhealthy it is, Salem. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. We have to fight to be open. We have to fight to be open. And like Stephanie said, here's how it begins. It begins by entering somebody else's life and saying, peace be with you. Not the fight first. Not the opinions first. Not the conversation about why we have no money because we're spending it recklessly. First, peace be with you. And then honest conversations. Back in the day, when I first took over, I preached a sermon series for a long time called Inside the Edges. Salem, we are barreling towards outside the edges. We're making decisions. And I'm going to sound really old school right now. But we're making decisions about things like vacations and spending and how we allocate our time. We're making these decisions, and it's coming from self-assured personal places without the benefit of submitting it to the wider body that God has given you. Here's what I think spiritual authority is. You ready? Everybody's nervous. Are you so excited to hear me talk about the authority that I have? No. Here's spiritual authority. Not doing what somebody who's a spiritual leader in your life says. That's not coming under authority. Letting them know what's going on and honestly hearing them speak to it. That's coming under authority. Do you see the difference there? You're not puppets. You're not here to do what you're told by some guy. You're here to lean into your deacons, your elders, and your pastor 
to just let them know what's going on. Let them speak to it. And then you get to make your own choices. Nobody ever wants to take that away from you. But you need to maybe have somebody say, well, just before you make that decision, look again. Look again. Look at it from this angle. Look at, let's climb up on this mountain and look down on it from the bigger picture. Let's go down in the valley and see what's really going on beneath the surface. That's what it is. That's what we should be doing. I, I, have, I have heard husbands and wives say to me, my husband or wife didn't want me to come talk to you because they don't want you to know what's going on. Don't let this happen. Don't let this happen. Don't let, this might be one of the most important things I've said in four years. Don't, Steph's dream, do not get stuck in that room by yourself, doors locked, shades drawn, and think that you can make decisions for your life. Your own pastor, I don't trust myself enough without the myriad of voices in my life to be able to know even what to speak on a Sunday. This is, this is conversed over a lot, sometimes funny, sometimes serious, sometimes talking to somebody. I, my rule is like try not to talk to people about my sermon on Saturday because sometimes when I do, I'm like, I have to write the whole thing over again because it was terrible, right? So like I try like to make Thursday the last day. <laughs> But like, yes, it's, it's tumbled over, it's wrestled over, it's, it's, there's moments of great joy and moments of grief over decisions, that's how it should be. Look again. Everybody say, look again. Do the narratives contradict? No, they don't. When you put them all together, that's what happened. There was one angel, then there was two angels, then there were no angels, then there was Jesus, then he was in the room, then he disappeared, then there was bread on the table, then we went back, then he showed up, then Thomas was being rude, then Jesus came again, then he descended and disappeared and no one knew where he went, then he showed up in the Holy Spirit and he's been so close to us, not minding his business ever since. Look again. Look again. Ask yourself again and again, am I really healthy? Can I really afford to be away from the congregation as much as I have been? Can I really, am I so healthy that I can make these decisions? Am I so healthy that I don't need anybody else but myself? No. But we have to look again, and we have to look again. Let's stand to our feet this morning. A little bit of a different message little bit of like what we would call a household message. But sometimes we have to talk about these things. Sometimes we have to get a little bit uncomfortable. Sometimes we have to challenge ourselves a little bit. I want the worship team to come back up here. I don't want the last sound you hear to be the sound of me like, rah, rah, rah. I want us to sing a little bit if that's okay. But I'm honestly telling you, this is, this is the truth I've lived in my life. I was just over at my brother Frank's house the other night, and we were having conversations, and I sat down at the table, and I remembered, like, early on, and I'm not going to give you all the details, because everybody's probably going to want to know, but I was about to make a really stupid decision. This is probably, like, 1999, 2000, and I'm getting ready to leave Frank's house, and Frank says, sit down at the table, and him and Jen went in on my life, like, bat, 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 bat. And I'm like, I can't breathe. Bap, bap, bap. Stop. Friend, jumping off the table. Bap. Like, why are, you, why are you doing? Did you just tag team somebody else in? There's 90 of you. No, it's just the two of us. They just tore me up. Why? Because they were saying, we know you. And you're not looking again. Look at this decision you're about to make. Look again. Is this what's been prophesied over your life? Is this going to get you to where you need to be? Frank's like, you're staying at our table tonight. Like, I'm going to mess with him. I wish you were there when I tried to buy the jersey. 
<laughs> I'm not going to say no to him. I'm like, I'll stay. Not to mention between his muscles and Jen's food. I'm like, this is probably a better decision anyway. But that's, it's taken that my whole life has been stories like that, where it's like people just yoking from behind, be like, no, man, no, you're not doing that. And sometimes forcefully, sometimes with anger, because they're saying, we know you, you're better than this. Salem, we need to be that for each other so bad. We're not here to affirm each other's terrible decisions. Bishop Mike Owen from, from um, Oklahoma always says, let's not baptize bad decisions. You don't, have to, you don't have to solidify this. You can, you can turn around. You can walk away from it. But let's be that for each other. I know this is one of those, like, you usually tell us, like, how good we are and stuff. Why aren't you doing that today? I am. I am telling you. I love the way he plays. It's so funny all the time. I love you, Salem. I really do. With all my heart, we want what's best for each other. I'm going to have the worship team come up here and sing like two people said it back. <laughs> I love you, Salem. Like, my wife's like, we love you. We like you, too. Like, oh. Salem, we love you so much. Grace and peace. Go in this might of yours and rejoice in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.